I'm Fraser Medford-Corn. I'm Roisin Caird. And I'm Johnny Rhodes. And welcome to True Scotsman, the history and current affairs podcast where we delve into a variety of topics and dispel your illusions. We have fun making them and hope you have fun listening to them. How's it going? How are we feeling? I feel exactly like when Umbridge took over the ministry. <laughs> what? Oh, nothing. <laughs> you know you when mean... they found out that Mad-Eye Moody was actually Barty Crouch Jr.? Mm-hmm. It kind of got that vibe right now. You know, the whole book, I've been like, what an interesting, cool character. And then it turns out that they might be a bit of a monster. I find that rough because it's like, by that point, you've got to know Mad-Eye Moody so well. Like, Barty Crouch Jr. probably didn't know Mad-Eye Moody, but people like Dumbledore did. But the entire year, no one suspects a thing. Like, there's never a point where someone's like, oh, remember when we did this? And Mad-Eye's like, what? Like, that never happens. (laughs) Um, That's a very good point. Like, oh, Mad-Eye, my old friend who I fought with side by side. Do you remember that time we both got naked and went to the spa together (laughs) and had that intimate moment? You're right. Nobody seems to have nostalgic memories of Mad-Eye. In later books, we obviously have a connection to Mad-Eye. Like, Harry obviously feels... When you think about it, their actual interactions have been not very many because, like, yeah. for the, the the times that they got the closest, it wasn't really him. And then we obviously feel sad in book seven when he dies. It's also like we barely knew this character because he was never really in it. Yeah, that's my two cents on Mad Eye Moody. What the hell? I've not finished the books. <laughs> oh, I'm but- a very slow reader. That was not fair. Yes, uh, we continue, we should probably say spoilers. (laughs) Spoilers for Harry Potter, (laughs) the whole thing. Yeah. All of it. Spoilers for your entire childhood. All right, so uh, listeners at home, I want to start by saying the reason that we're talking about Harry Potter just now, if you haven't read the description, is because we want to do a thing about Harry Potter in Edinburgh. Uh, And the reason is uh, a few weeks ago, J.K. Rowling went onto Twitter, as she often does. Uh, Now, if you know much about J.K. Rowling's Twitter presence, you know that whatever comes next is never good. Um, So she, compared with a lot of things that people get mad about her for, it's actually not a huge deal. But she essentially came out and said that none of Edinburgh was an inspiration for Harry Potter. Uh, Bearing in mind that entire industries are built on this concept, okay? The idea that Harry Potter was written in Edinburgh and is inspired by Edinburgh is like, a lot of people make an okay amount of money (laughs) off of talking about this stuff. Uh, And she was just like, yeah, nothing inspired me. I didn't base anything on, on these places. Anyone who says that I did is a liar. Yeah, does that, does that kind of sum of up everything? She, in her defense, in her defense, she is struggling. You know, she's got to start reclaiming some of her economic power back because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but two theme parks, my father <laughs> tried to get by on two theme parks and it wasn't enough. It, we barely had enough 
to keep the gold on the plates at the dinner table. It was a real hard life. So, you know, I think she's just really trying to claim back a little bit of the, the golden eggs from her goose that, you know, all us rich and wealthy tour guides have been sucking on for too long. But Johnny, I do have to stop you there. I mean, I know you're being kind of glib and this is sort of something that you do every now and then. But think about the poor theme park industry. At the minute, the coronavirus has gone around and it's decimated the theme park industry. They have gone from making millions of pounds a year to possibly making less than that. Her two theme parks these days might be making less money than, I don't know what you do for money. Oh my God, Fraser. Could you imagine if that, that was it? Guys, could you imagine if all this was just a very deliberate ploy to destroy any tourism industry outside of her direct financial control to help it recover after coronavirus? Like she just Quite called possibly. up Warner Brothers and was like, yeah, like, guys, I know you're struggling, but by nuking the tourism industry in Portugal, I am going to save our theme parks. I really liked, like there's a, I used to take people into the new college, which looks very Hogwartsy, and there's a big statue of John Knox there. So my favorite thing to do was to pretend that it was a statue of Dumbledore, um, <laughs> which always went really well until people got close to the statue and could actually read that it was John Knox. Uh, we should have said that she based Dumbledore on John Knox. That would be really funny. Like, it would be a lie, but it would be very John funny. Okay. Oh, I do also want to say, uh, just for the, the benefit of those listening, uh, today is the 8th of June, 2020. And the reason that I say that is that anything that J.K. Rowling says on Twitter after this, we have no knowledge of. So if you're wondering why we haven't mentioned it, that is why. Because genuinely, she could say anything. <laughs> Speak for yourself, I have a time turner. You have a time turner? <laughs> yeah, but you would have to come back in time and then record this episode with us. Maybe I'm from the future. Ooh. Ooh. Does she say anything else in the next four days before we have this released? I don't know. I was just kind of in the bathroom for a while. <laughs> because, you know... You didn't check Twitter. Sadly, we... <laughs> I've been, yeah, I've been stuck in the bathroom for four days just trying to figure out how to work this time turner and how to take this diarrhea medication. <laughs> but you see, the thing is, I need to use the bathroom because I'm a muggle. I'm not a wizard. Wizards don't need to go to the bathroom, remember? That's true. That's true. So how, how do we feel about uh, J.K. Rowling saying this? Because I feel like we all had uh, different points of view um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe start with Johnny. Johnny, what, what were your feelings? <laughs> emote, boy. Emote. Johnny, are you crying? No, it's just <laughs> my internet cut out for a little bit. And then I just heard emote, boy, emote. And then suddenly, <laughs> Johnny, are you crying? And I'm like... No, I just have shit Wi-Fi. <laughs> Sorry, I asked you for your opinion and then there was just silence and I thought you were doing a bit because it's you. I thought you were just like, I'm just going to be really quiet just now um, like because I'm so depressed about JK, what J.K. Rowling said about Edinburgh. I thought that's what the joke was going to be, but it was just bad internet. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, what was your question? Because I did not hear it. Okay, so um, I sort of wanted to talk about our uh, our different viewpoints on this stuff because, you know, obviously we all had different thoughts on it. And the thing that I remember you said, like, the day after she came out and said all this stuff, 
you actually said that you didn't want to do Harry Potter tours and when we went back to work you were gonna ask uh, our kind of boss uh, if you could not do them anymore um, is that is that still something that you feel I mean I've, I've given it a lot of thought and I, you know what I don't I think I will but now more up with spite than anything else because <laughs> I just think it's such like I get it. Being accurate and historical is really important for most things. <laughs> um, Harry Potter is not something that needed to be fact-checked. J.K. Rowling could have, from her mansion, just looked at a small cottage industry that is making, as you said, a, f a handful of people a handful of coins every year and gone, you know what? That's fine. That's great. They want to say that cafe was where I had the first idea for, you know, the extendable ear. Great. God bless them. They keep, they keep working to achieve their dream. To me, it is really petty that someone who has struggled and who has then achieved great success would take time out of her day to basically, almost in a casual, you know, way, just chuck a grenade into um, what is for many people, how they support their families and livelihoods. And I get the argument that it's her creation and she owns it and she can do it whatever she wants with it. I'm not arguing that she's allowed to do that. What I'm arguing is why? Like, you know, I'm technically allowed to stand every morning naked in front of my window and, you know, just wave myself at passers-by. But I don't do that because it's morally wrong. Are you allowed to do that? <laughs> I don't know, Roisin. That's up for the court to decide next January. But I don't do it anymore. And I just think, you know, it's just something she didn't need to do. It benefits no one. And, yeah, so I will do them now just out of sheer spite. Because I think that that was just a pointlessly, I know cruel is a strong word, but when I, the more I think about it, the more pointless and cruel it does seem. Yeah, I was like, why is she putting me personally out of a job? <laughs> why, why would she make this personal attack on I, just because I compared her to Morrissey that one time? Um, yeah. <laughs> that was it, Rasheen. She heard about that and was like, well, that's it. This is over. Your reach is going is kind of getting out there, you know, as an up and coming comedian. She's probably, you are on her radar, I'm pretty sure. I am on her radar. Um, and now and her murder list. Yeah. I'm actually really glad to hear you say that, Johnny, because I have, I, I, I feel for your mental health and stability, it is good for you to be less worried about being accurate in your Harry Potter tour and also in your ghost tour. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sometimes a bit like, you really don't need to sacrifice quality for the truth. <laughs> I just find so much about what J.K. Rowling has been, you know, saying and doing to be so pointlessly needless, pointless. Mm. You know, it's like, it reminds me whenever you hear a billionaire saying they're gonna run for president, it's like, listen, just because you had a good opinion or were good at one thing doesn't mean you have good opinions or are good at everything. Like, mm -hmm. and to me, J.K. Rowling kind of is more and more embodying that in that, you know, she seems to think that she has these 
such confident opinions on complicated issues. Like, look at me, Israel-Palestine. I am happy to admit that there is so much about that I don't know and cannot comment on because of my ignorance. And even though I try to study it and learn more about it and the complexities of it, I accept there are certain areas of that that I just don't know about enough about just now. For J.K. Rowling on such a contentious number of issues as she does to come forward like, not not like guys, you know, I think we should have a discussion about this, but to just be like, no, that's ridiculous, that's stupid. You know, whether it's trans rights, whether it's um, certain race issues or whatever, to me that just completely shows that she has become out of touch. Nice. All right. So, Fraser, when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you had uh, a very different take to what Johnny's was. So Johnny's uh, was very much that, you know, if the author has said that none of this stuff was inspired by, or none of this stuff inspired them, then he didn't feel like he could really take it seriously when saying that on a tour. Uh, what, were, what were your thoughts? Essentially, my view boils down to the idea that, yes, there is such a thing as the truth, and it is our job as far as possible to tell people the truth, the best truth that we can find, the most accurate truth available that, you know, we shouldn't tell people a lie. But I do think that we are telling a story. That is essentially what our job is. We're basically doing the job, the role of historians, which is telling a story using the available facts. And when, when it comes to something like Harry Potter especially, well, that's literature. And when we're in the field of literature, uh, which I studied, by the way, at University of Edinburgh. Thank you very much. When you're in this, when you study literature, there's a big discussion that you know how important is the author, authorial intent versus uh, this whole idea that maybe the author shouldn't matter that much. Uh, this was most categorised by Roland Barthes in Death of the Author, which there's a lot. It's an essay, but to be honest, you only need like one paragraph of it, which essentially says the author is dead, and with the author being dead we are free to interpret it how we like. We don't have to listen to what the author says about a work after they're done. Yeah, they'll have some handy insights, but if we limit texts to being purely biographical extensions of the people who create them, there's, there's less that can be said about them than you might think. Like, say if you were to ask Tolkien uh, what Lord of the Rings was about, and he'd say, oh, well, it's just a purely fantastical fictional world that's made up, and you'd be like, and you'd be like Okay, so what about, you know, World War II? Because a lot of this, which has got similarities to World War II, is like, nah, that had nothing to do with it. It's like, okay, what about industrialization? Mm. Nah, nothing to do with it, mate. That's fine, but it limits your understanding of things. How much do you think Twitter has to do with it? Because people can have these sort of interactions that they have with, say, Tolkien's work. And then Tolkien might then be asked about it in an interview, and he might be like, right, that's really annoying but how many people are going to read that? Whereas now through Twitter, we suddenly have this direct link with the person themselves. We're seeing like a parasocial relationship. For those who don't know, that's a relationship people have with celebrities where you know everything about them, but they don't have it about you. And people start to sort of think of those people as being their friends almost, or as people that they know personally. It's a very hard thing not to do because when you're reading about someone, when you're hearing their opinions, it's very, you know, you, you build up an image of them in their heads. And, you know, I'm just wondering how much we think maybe that's going to influence this, where she literally can just go on Twitter and say what she thinks. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a thing. And sorry to cut across you there, Johnny. 
But essentially, I have one core argument, and I've made this argument on a tour before, and it's basically about the fact that J.K. Rowling at some point got into her heads that people had to know how wizards pooped. <laughs> know that toilets came into Hogwarts in the 19th century, but before that, wizards just used to teleport their poop somewhere else. It was such a baffling thing to say. I don't know if anybody ever in the world said, said what happened to the poop for hundreds of years. You then have to think, what happens to, say, people who are non-verbal and aren't able to do magic? What about squibs who live in magical households? It seems a lot more difficult to explain than... <laughs> it's just they had toilets. Yeah, or they used an outhouse or, like, you know, any number of things. I'd, maybe if they had, like, a special room that had a teleportation tunnel in it or something and they used that and they have those at Hogwarts, but they've just replaced them with porcelain toilets so the Muggleborns feel more at home. Fraser, they literally do. It's called a vanishing cabinet. You've already hit upon, like, in canon, a better answer than they magic their poo away. They just have vanishing cabinets, which does sound like a Victorian name for the restroom, where the wizards would go in, poop, and the poop would be taken away to a central place of vanishing cabinets. You know, somewhere terrible. Azkaban. That's what Azkaban is. It's an island of old wizard poop. But, yep. um... I think what Rashim was saying about that relationship with the author is especially powerful with J.K. Rowling because people grew up with her and there is a very strong emotional connection there. So it's not just like a friend, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, some people really see her views as being something that needs to be defended. Like she's this icon and when she speaks, like the Oracle of Delphi, you just kind of have to accept that, no, she's probably in the right. And so I think what I'd like to say to Harry Potter fans, speaking as a Harry Potter fan, is it's okay to like the work and not agree with everything the author says, you know? Like famously, H.P. Lovecraft, massive racist. I personally, if I could, would punch H.P. Lovecraft in the face. like. I'm not going to do it now because he's dead and I think that gives me an unfair advantage and I only fight fair. But like, H.P. Lovecraft was a massive racist. You can still read his books and still go, right, these are interesting books. I just don't get like why people seem to associate the fact that if you go against J.K. Rowling, you therefore must hate against an essential part of their childhood. You can still love Harry Potter guilt-free. Harry Potter still has important lessons to teach people, and it's okay for it to be a huge part of your life, no matter what age you are. At the same time, we have to be able to criticize J.K. Rowling. Like, she's not the Pope. And even then, criticizing the Pope, maybe that's a good idea every now and then, because sometimes the Catholic Church has stances which, I mean, I don't want to get into our whole thing here, but, you know, papal infallibility is very good if you're a Catholic, but if you're not a Catholic... Fraser, you don't care. Our viewership is 90% based in the Vatican. If you take that away from us, we are done as a podcast. Oh, no, it's like, JK, it's like when J.K. Rowling tried to take away our business from us. You know what? Maybe she should be the Pope. Have you ever thought about that? Don't you think it's about time? That, that, that a non-Catholic... Woman was the Pope. <laughs> Yeah, of course, you know. Why does the Pope need to be Catholic? That's so discriminatory. Come on, guys. I feel like I'm kind of... The reason that I was sort of making a thing about uh, Johnny's position a couple of weeks ago was because I really felt like uh, my opinion sort of felt solidly between the two of you. Um, whereas now I feel like it's maybe a bit closer to Johnny's. Um, 
but uh, I guess I like when it when it sort of comes to the thing of um, for how how uh, aware we actually are of what we're thinking when we create a piece of art. You know, she said in the same thread that she went back to London one day and she saw near her old house somewhere called Severus Place and she realized oh that must have been why the name Severus came into her head when she went to uh name Snape and it's like okay so she hadn't seen that she wouldn't have been aware of it so she's admitting that something subconsciously affected her thinking but she isn't willing to accept that that might have happened in other ways that she's not aware of and I just, the other thing was that I just kind of, I thought about my actual Harry Potter tour and I realized that nothing in it is really a big stretch of the truth. It's mostly stuff like where she wrote, what was happening in her life before she lived in, while she lived in Edinburgh, all of which is true. Um, there's some stuff about Scottish mythology, which is also true. I Stretch the truth a little bit with some stuff about Greek mythology. I say that she was inspired by the Greek style architecture to think about Greek mythology. That's obviously nonsense. Um, but, you know, I don't think that that's a big deal. And then obviously there's the names in the graveyard, the McGonagall, Moody and Thomas Riddell. And I kind of feel like if we know that she walked around that graveyard anyway, and there's a Thomas Riddell in there. That is a really specific name. That's so coincidental, even though she says that she doesn't remember actually seeing that. So I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I am quite happy to stand on Victoria Street and just be like, do you know what? She said that this wasn't an inspiration and I don't believe her. <laughs> I, honestly, like I just, I, you know, okay, maybe you don't think it was an inspiration, but nothing in our heads is entirely unique or original. You know, we all create stuff, which is really just what we already know. Like even a dragon is just a lizard with wings. You know what I mean? Um, so I think to say, it's true though. It's true. That's, that's what it is. Like We're getting into Descartes now, this has gone to a level of intellectualism I did not expect. It's true though. Anything that She's obviously inspired by something, right? And I sort of feel like if this was a visual medium, I would get pictures of Hogwarts and then get pictures of Edinburgh and I would put them next to each other because they look almost exactly the same in some cases. And I just don't, I, I, I just think, you know, like, all right, that's what you think. But yeah. I do think it's a perfectly fair interpretation to be like, eh, okay. I'm still going to talk about this though, you know? I mean, she herself admits that the, the muggle world, that's non-wizards, uh, in the muggle world, she admits that there is a huge amount of stuff that inspired her. I mean, she wrote an entire book about it called A History of Magic. There was an exhibition on it. There was a BBC documentary that for some reason I keep seeing on sale on Primark for two pounds, as if nobody's heard of BBC iPlayer, but fine. It's clear, you're right, that she took inspiration from the real world. And I think what you're saying is, is a nice reminder that, yeah, unlike the Pope, J.K. Rowling is not infallible. That she does sometimes mess stuff up. She herself says she forgets things um, in the books and has had to have help with it. And she's not the only author. So George R. R. Martin has admitted that he often consults fans um, when writing his books. Specifically, there's these two random fans who set up a website that was basically called a wiki of ice and fire. And he regularly corresponds with them. Uh, and these are just random fans 
um, who were dedicated and so started an interchange with him. And the point is that, you know, offers forget stuff. They lose track of details. They forget what inspires them. So you know what? Yeah, J.K. Rowling maybe remembers every single thing that inspired her and can confidently say her subconscious was never inspired by anything, blah, blah, blah. Or she could be wrong. And that's mm. not a weird or bad thing to say. People can be mistaken about things they've done in the past. My feeling now is I kind of want to, so we had the Pope image, I've got a different image. I kind of view a book like the, a universe, you know? But the, the work that I see an author doing for it is that they're kind of like the beginning bit, we've got the matter and the antimatter kind of fighting each other to decide that, you know, who, who wins. And then you get the creation of everything immediately following that, you know, the Big Bang sort of idea. I might have messed that up a little bit. I'm no physicist. So she provided the elemental substance that made the Harry Potter universe. But the entire meaning of it developed after that, I'd say, belongs to the readers. The readers are the ones who read her words and developed these ideas in their heads that they came up with what they're talking about. Uh, some of these readers like, you know, were fan fiction writers and they've developed their own little galaxies within her universe. Uh, the movies, of course, that's like a whole other subsystem. And yeah, I think that's something really magical. I think it's really magical how somebody can do this and they just use the elements that they have to their hands, smash these together, and yeah, it's a great act of creation. But as a creator god, it's not like an omnipotent, omniscient, om omnibenevolent god. It's very much creating the universe and then letting it go, in a sense. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. The one thing which is quite interesting about J.K. Rowling is that a lot of people point out that she was the first or one of the first major authors to be okay with fan fiction. So when people started kind of publishing their own fan fiction on the internet, people like Anne Rice really didn't like it. They didn't like people taking their characters and doing other things with them. Whereas J.K. Rowling was very openly like, no, like, I think that this is great. I think it's really nice that they take my characters and they do something fun. I 100% encourage people to do that. I encourage people to role play, you know, take this and do what you want with it. And it's sort of interesting how she does that because that's kind of part of the thing of Harry Potter is that it's, like as a as a fan base it kind of morphs into anything that it could be you know like in edinburgh there's pubs around it you know it's shops it can be coffee shops it can be theme parks i've obviously made the joke that edinburgh city council would let you have a harry potter themed sex dungeon it, you know they'd license it as long as it's harry potter and people would pay good money for that by the way but that's a side point but like, um, Can I just ask, do, have you copyrighted this idea or is this that? Uh, yes, it is very copyrighted and no one should steal it. I don't know. I think oh. if we're allowed to have the rights, I'm going to call it the room of requirement. But if we don't have the rights, oh. uh, then I'll have to be like, I know the chamber of stuff you need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, just for the benefit of listeners who are not from Edinburgh, this is kind of a take on the fact that several shops have had to change their names multiple times because Warner Bros have taken issue with them. Yeah, yeah I my favourite was uh, in 2018 when you had the Leaky Cauldron. Like it was just one really like kind of burnt out, horrible looking, empty building on uh, Nicholson Street. 
And for that one month, it called itself the Leaky Cauldron. It had like photos of the Daily Prophet all over the walls. All their cocktails were Harry Potter themed. Like it really went for the Harry Potter thing. And because it was only a month, no one could really do anything because obviously they received their cease and desist letters. And they're just like, sure, I'll cease and desist on the 28th of August. Um, but yeah, it's sort of interesting how, you know, she's so up for letting people do what they want with the characters, but then also so much wants to be in control of not just the characters in the books, but their entire backstories going back several generations. Like if you go on uh, Pottermore, the extent to which she like understands every single character's backstory. I kind of, like one of the reasons that I wanted to do this uh, episode was, um, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. A boyfriend of mine, uh, we were talking about Harry Potter and how it's meant to be a metaphor for Jesus. Uh, so for the readers who don't know, Harry represents Christ. He sacrifices himself to save the rest of us and then he's resurrected. This is an actual thing which J.K. Rowling has actually said and fair enough. (sighs) (sighs) Brilliantly original. I I, I was so taken by surprise by that when I read it. You know, it just, wow, a Christ metaphor. I mean, you know, there's been so many books that have just been about talking lions with no underlying meaning like writers like c.s lewis who never even tried to add another layer to their stories jk Rowling, she's the first to really put her faith into a children's fantasy book this is something that i like about uh tolkien and lord of the rings there is no jesus parallel in that unless you think Gollum is jesus well oh frodo gets a bit weird but you know that's frodo's kind of like you know if jesus just decided when he was given his temptation yeah all right i'm going to be tempted uh, and, mm. you know, I don't know, P- Peter had to come up to him and, like, punch him in the face to get him back to, back to reality. But then, like, you know, Shadow Jesus, like, you know, dived into that volcano. Spoilers, Lord of the Rings, by the way. I mean, I, I couldn't, I, I could have listened to that and still had no idea how the Lord of the Rings ended, so. And spoilers for the Bible, Jesus did resist the temptations, okay? Just in case anyone was wondering, like, what's this about Jesus and the temptations? Spoiler alert, our guy did it. Something kind of, how she invented another religion accidentally, but in a far worse way, was of course the goblins. Mm. Goblins, I mean, like, when I first read these books when I was like 12 years old, I instantly was able to pick that, I was like, oh, I don't like that. Like, you know, I wasn't even fully aware of anti-Semitic tropes or anything like this, but I just knew as soon as I read that, I was like, I feel like she's made a mistake there. I feel like this is something which, you know, shouldn't be always felt a bit uncomfortable about. Yeah, it's only in recent years I've actually seen people properly, you know, come out and say, well, this is something that we really need to talk about. Yeah, I mean, there's been more and more talk online about race issues, how they relate to Harry Potter. Mm. Because obviously there's a lot of amazing anti-racism stuff in Harry Potter. But, of course, some people read it like, well, there's not a lot of diversity and other things. I mean... I mean, is there amazing anti-racism stuff in it, or did she invent a form of racism which affects white people? The only anti-racism... Oh, oh, very good. Yeah. Oh, I never even thought... Wow, 20 points to Gryffindor. That's... (laughs) (laughs) The only anti-racism I can think of is when Hermione starts the Society for the Prevention of Elvish Welfare, somehow messing up the name, uh, despite being, you know, the most brilliant in the entire series. Uh, which is basically just, may as well just be the SJW club or something like this. And they're like, oh, look at Hermione being all ridiculous and, you know, wanting to promote social change. 
yeah, it's never clear how we're meant to feel about that. Like, we're obviously meant to think that Hermione is very smart, but also we're very clearly supposed to think that her sticking up for house elves is dumb. And that's just never resolved, ever. Yeah, that that is a huge thing. Like, the fact there are slaves in Harry Potter and they're happy slaves. Mm, a slave race, of, no less. Yeah. Yeah, a race of happy slaves. Like, they're so sad if they get liberated and they just love working. I'm not sure what she's trying to say with this. Like, what is this? Like, why did you have to have that? Why not just have this race of creatures that are brutally enslaved and there's just never been a campaign in the wizarding world to address that? And you could talk so much about the very modern problem and uh, Lumos, the charity, and many Harry Potter groups have fought against modern slavery. It's a very modern issue. It's a big problem. And I don't think having a race of slaves who like being slaves is really the best way to do it. I mean, it's not like they're even servants. When Dumbledore tries to pay them, they get upset. And that trope of the happy slave is a historical trope that has been around forever and is incredibly toxic. You know, even here today, protesters saying like, oh, the slaves were happy. Bill O'Reilly, a noticed, uh, noticeable sex offender, um, he uh, was saying when they were discussing the White House being built by slaves, oh yeah, but they were well fed and kept in good conditions. For J.K. Rowling to just, for no reason, again, there was no reason for the story to have happy slaves. Like she could have had slaves in this universe but to have them literally weeping over the idea of freedom to me is just weird. I don't get it. Maybe there's a great reason for it, but I, I ain't seeing it. A lot of pretty weird things there. An article that was a, an article that was a great read for me was basically was saying, J.K. Rowling was always this terrible. That's the, that's the headline of it. And it was in the journal blog by Laurie Charles. So J.K. Rowling was always this terrible. Apologist potion has worn off. And it basically goes into a lot of these things where it says kind of how a lot of it's kind of imperialist. Like, have you looked at the fact that there's nine magical schools in the world? I think three of them are in Europe. One of them covers the Americas. Or Jesus. They have some very, very limited ideas. So they've got three schools in Europe, one in Africa, one in America, one in China. I can't remember what their last one is, but there's like seven schools maybe. I think the problem is the need to retcon this stuff without ever being able to take accountability for your own stuff. So let's just say that, you know, when the goblins thing was pointed out, she was like, yeah, okay, I can see how that's a trope and just owned it and apologized for it you know or like people point out lack of diversity and she was like yeah I could have done that better but it's the fact that instead of doing that she tries to make out that things aren't what they are and then she feels the need to it's as though she kind of backs herself into a corner because she feels the need to sort of show how much oh there's all these different wizarding schools all across the world and it's like she's trying to answer all these questions because she can't not have an answer she can't not know what the answer to this is but then that only opens up more questions you know like there's one school for the americas so what language are they all speaking or you know are they maybe speaking different languages but same with europe to be fair, um, you know, do they speak different languages, but there's some kind of translation spell going on or what's, you know, what's happening there. But it's also just like, Christ, at what point do you just say, I don't know, it's a made up magical world. Like, I guess they sort it out. I'm not an all seeing omnipresent God, even of this thing that I made up in my head, you know? 
Yeah, a really cool thing she could do if she wanted to be, I hate this term, but woke, is she could even say it, she could combine her acceptance of fan fiction and her desire to answer these questions and expand the world by letting people fill in the gaps and then maybe saying, oh, that's a really good way of putting it. That's great. Like someone in Burkina Faso explaining what magic schools would be like in Northwest Africa, you know? And then J.K. Mm. Rowling might go, oh, that's a great idea. I mean, she has the time and ability to write poems on individuals she hates and then post them on Twitter. Surely if someone tags, hey, J.K. Rowling, I'm a Brazilian student and this is what I think a magic school in Brazil would be like, she could she can take five minutes to do that. I bet that is far less work than just, I don't know, having to sit down and make up whatever the heck you think based off your knowledge of that region's history or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there would, there would mm. be at least one school per country because there's there's like 1,000 students that go to Hogwarts. And now that's, I suppose, 1,000 students for a, like a landmass, which is, oh, if you include Ireland, we're talking 70 plus million people, right? So, because Hogwarts is for Ireland as well. They don't have their own school. They go to... They go to Hogwarts, mm. uh, which again is imperialism. Like an issue to that as well, yeah. But the idea is that there's like about one thousand students in a seventy million population. Okay, there's a lot of seventy million populations around the world which are not represented by a school. Instead, it seems like a lot of these other places just. Well, how come the UK is so much better at like you know magical education than every other country in the world? And it is like all of this could have just been avoided by just not making it a thing. You know, it's like she has to make it a thing and then she backs herself into a corner, but she still has to try and make it progressive. There is actually one question I really want answered, and it's it kind of corresponds to the population point because we know in the Harry Potter universe countries exist. There's a minister for magic for Luxembourg. But if you adjust for population, right? So let's say 70 million people in Britain and Ireland, but a thousand wizards. There's like a million people in Luxembourg at a stretch. Is there just like four wizards in Luxembourg and that's the Ministry of Magic there? I know it's a silly question, but is there a Ministry of Magic for the Vatican City or is that too on the nose? Like, I don't understand large parts of that. Mm. And I'd also like us to kind of, I know there's a big elephant in the room that we should probably talk about and people would be mad if we didn't spend a good bit of time on it. And it's- What, what is her, it? Well, well, you might have heard. I, I mean, she doesn't talk much about it. it she's quite shy on this topic but um let me, let me just double check it's um uh, trans rights am i saying that right trans rights yeah isn't it pretty bizarre that nobody's got a spell to turn themselves uh, to change your gender well the thing is i mean you could argue polyjuice potion but that's like if you consider the character of tonks like a character who can change their physical appearance into anything at will you know um and how that, like, how special a thing that is. So that's sort of why it's uh, one of the reasons why a lot of it is so hurtful um, for a lot of people. Yeah, and I mean, sorry, just to tie in quickly to that point, it's also the, the uh, escape from abuse story that is Harry Potter. I mean, Harry Potter's story is, of course, not that he experiences abuse, has to deal with the trauma of that, grow up through it. Oh, no, it's what every, I think, person who grows up with questions of identity or with difficulties like that would want which is you know someone comes in tells you you're special 
tells you that's fine. In fact, it's a great thing. And now we're going to go take you to find a bunch of people who are friends and can agree with you on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I am... I mean, when you think about the, the optics of it, he literally comes out the cupboard, you know, he spends his entire life being this thing that his uh, guardians actually do not want him to be, they actively punish him for it, mm. and uh, yeah, when he leaves, he literally leaves the closet. I don't think that's on purpose, but you know, you, you can see the parallels. Um, yeah, I, I think we are like, um, we are kind of drawing to a close. The last question that I want to ask the two of you is, is there anything that you say on your Harry Potter tour, which is, or have said on your Harry Potter tour, which is genuinely a bit ridiculous? Mm, I think I maybe go a bit overboard on the McGonagall connection. So for the benefit of listeners at home, William McGonagall is said to be the worst poet who ever lived. And I really use him to kind of tie together this idea of J.K. Rowling's determination in her spirit which I think, which I see when she was inspired by the fact that Scotland had people who kept going and kept trying, even when the world was telling them to kind of stop. I was just going to say that is so funny. I think it's quite good. I think it's, it really ties the thing together and it's a very dramatic and epic kind of poem that I almost do like this. And it's, mm. it's very strong. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that of you ever, ever saw it, but, uh, and it's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. It's completely not book related. It's just because I want to talk about this man, basically. I want to say how incredible this guy is. And there's a connection to everything else that I say on the tour, but it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, yeah, the name was probably an inspiration, but the way that I do it is quite gorgeous. That's quite cool. What about yourself, Johnny? Is there anything you say which is uh, arguably a stretch? No, here's the thing. I can't honestly think of anything off the top of my head because I, I'm i so self-aware and careful with what I say. Like, I do mention, you know, the Elizabeth Moody grave or whatever. There's a grave that people love to say it's Mad-Eye Moody's inspiration. But I always make a joke of it and say it's probably not. Uh, for me, I think the weirdest or silliest thing I say, and this is more like a brag to sort of cement the fact that just in case anyone is wondering, I am and still proudly am a fan of the Harry Potter books. Um, you know, I think they are brilliant. Um, is I sometimes tell people um, the true story that I was one of the first people to have a copy of the Order of the Phoenix in the world. Aww. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it you... was at a costume contest, and I was in a recycled lizard costume as a quote-unquote dragon, which is quite appropriate to what you said earlier. Like, I was literally a lizard with wings taped onto its back, <laughs> and um, I just ended it, and somehow that was enough to, that and, like, my patter were enough to get me uh, onto sort of, like, the list, and this was at Borders Bookshop at Fort Canard in Edinburgh, if anyone's wondering, and we won, me and some other people including the greatest Hagrid costume I've ever seen. And yeah, we got like some of the first books um, that were even being put out there. And then I burnt it in front of all the fans who had to wait in line. Just <laughs> open. You That's opened just it to I the do. end and you went, Sirius is dead? <laughs> That's even Fuck not me. All right, guys. Good night. See you at home. <laughs> The wrong. <laughs> throw, throw the the book in the trash, like. Oh, I treat my books like my apples. I just take one bite and then I throw them away. 
That is very funny. Angus Templeton was going to say, I told him not to, but he was going to say that uh, Alexander the Great taming Bucephalus, the horse. So that statue that we have in uh, the the city chambers. Yeah, the council chambers, the city chambers. Uh, he was going to say that that was an inspiration for Harry learning to tame Buckbeak. <laughs> what? And it made me un- unreasonably angry. Uh, cringe, mate. That's cringe. He just toured cringe. Yeah, it was the sort of thing where it's like if I was on a tour and I heard that, I would be like, that's clearly nonsense. I mean, I'm saying that's cringe, and I've got two Harry Potter poems in my tour. That's quite Wait, funny. So did you write these poems? Both of them, yes. Uh, wow. They just kind of. I'm, that's not cringy. That's impressive. I am. I'm there, man. You should come on my tour at some point. It just kind of developed over time. And I'll need to spend time working out how to do it because I never actually wrote them down. It's like an oral tradition, which has sadly been snuffed out by the, co- the coronavirus. But hopefully I should be able to get it back because some of these are just written on my damn skull. Cool. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Please uh, keep listening and coming back. And uh, you might notice our sound is better this week. We sorted out some stuff that makes our sound a bit better and a bit more listenable. Follow us on Twitter, share us around, and generally love your life. Thank you very much. May the fourth be with you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bye. Bye. True Scotsman is a Scottish history and culture podcast by Roisin Caird, Fraser Medvedick-Horn, and Johnny Rhodes. The music is by Adam Logan. Each Saturday, we release a new episode exploring an aspect of Scottish history that we're interested in and that we want to tell you about. If you enjoyed the show and you'd like to support it, share the podcast around, tell your friends. We're here every week with a new episode for you.